0: history according to Luke 13, part 2, spoken by Pastor Peter Un. Good morning, Metro, and good morning to those in the nursery, to our online community. Uh, welcome to Metro Community Church. It's good to be back. There's no place like home. I said that last Sunday as I was here, and uh, I'm so grateful for this community, this church, and, uh, you know, we try real hard uh, every Sunday, everything that we do. We're very imperfect, but we do the best we can. Uh, to try to serve God, to teach God's word to you. And we've been trying to do that for the past year, especially as we looked in the gospel of Luke, looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And one of the things I think we've sort of realized with Jesus is that when you look at his teachings, he's not playing. He's not. He drops like truth bombs on us. And the challenge for us is, are you willing to listen? Because one of the things he always says is, those who have ears to hear, would you hear? And that's really a key thing. We have to be willing to hear the truths in which Jesus is teaching us. And today he's going to do the same thing. Uh, Last Sunday, um, we celebrated my daughter's 16th birthday by a sweet 16 party. And it was a real big party we had at my friend's church. And uh, about 59 people came out and 40 of them which were her friends. uh, And, you know, the adults came too, but... Forty of which were like twenty from the church, twenty from her high school, and it was really great to see these kids. And I'm so proud of her. She's got such good friends, and they're just all good kids. They really are. And they were like hanging out. Like originally, they were like dancing separately, the church and the school kids. But then, like towards the end of the night, they just started kind of coming together, dancing together, and just really—it was really good to see that. But part of the the Swiss 16 party was that some of the girls came up, and there was like an open mic, and they started sharing about Christina about how christina had blessed their life and like just to give you some examples there was like this girl that came up she said you know from our church she said i was going through a real dark time in my life it was really hard struggling with my parents and it was because of christina she would check in on me through text she'd call me and say hey let me pray for you and if it wasn't for that i wouldn't have gotten through this very difficult time i remember when she was when they were sharing that i kind of turned to my wife and i said i think they're lying because that's not my daughter. Like, come on. real. My daughter calls you and prays for you and, like, checks in on you spiritually? Like, testimony after testimony. I'm thinking, like, are you lying, girls? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> I was so overwhelmed by those testimonies. And, and, and I was thankful because as any parent, right, you're growing up, and when, when the moment I first saw her in California and she was born there in, in L.A., and I just like, I hope, I hope, God, that I won't screw this up. And then I hope that perhaps maybe she can be a blessing to your people. And just to hear that was like such a great confirmation that, God, you did it. But also, you know what? I mean, I think her mom and dad kind of did it too. (laughs) Right? We did it. And we were so happy. I was so happy. But I realized how narrow the door is to parenting your children. The doorway is so narrow. Like say like I didn't, I wasn't, spending any time with her for the first sixteen years of her life and now all of a sudden I want to play catch up. The damage is already done. That door is so narrow to parent a child. It really is. And I I still remember as if it was like yesterday when she was born in in California and she'd get up four or five times a night. I mean it was miserable for the first 18 months of our of her life. I wasn't able to sleep. Out of the three kids, she pooped the most I mean, it's constantly changing and changing and changing. It was overwhelming for me. And I remember one of my friends who was a lot older than me, they, and they had much older kids, they said, enjoy it, man. Time flies. And I said, I can't wait till time flies, because I just don't <laughs> want to do this anymore. This is like hell. And uh, 16 years, 16 years later, parents in the nursery, can I speak to you for a moment, and those online? enjoy that time because time really flies it really does it goes so fast that door is so narrow to parent your child you know what else door is really narrow our life here on earth the fragility of life is is really scary i think there is no promise of a tomorrow for you there was none for those 58 people that were gunned down by a deeply troubled man in las vegas Wounding 500 more. Those people woke up. They never thought this was the last day of life on on Earth. The fragility of life. We found out like this month, uh, hurricanes have ravaged our country, Houston, Florida, Puerto Rico. Really decimating that entire country, Puerto Rico. And uh, you know, this month is national is uh, Hispanic uh, National Heritage Month, and we just want to honor all of our. Hispanic people in our congregation, we honor your culture, we honor who you are, we do. Thank you for being here. And, um, you know, I, I, I know this is kind of a sidebar, but, um, you know, some of you have actually asked me, you know, who can we give our money to to help Puerto Rico, right? And so... Coming back, one of my first things was to actually start investigating, right? Because you want to make sure you, you support a good organization. And so I, I called a lot of my Puerto Rican pastor friends, and I just said, hey, I, I need input. Where have you guys given money to, and what, where have you been serving? And so uh, he, the Michael Carrion, Pastor Michael Carrion told me that the organization that you and I need to, serve, uh, need to be giving to, if you want to give, if you want to give, is NA- NALIC. Uh, it's National Latino Evangelical Coalition. There's the website. I just want you to know that they give 100% of your donations to the eight biggest cities that have gotten ravaged by the hurricane, the worst cities. And they give them, you know, of course, supplies and anything like that. So if you want to give and you didn't know where to maybe give, this would be the organization to give. It is a Hispanic organization, all right, uh, here in New York City, and they're sending teams there constantly, and they're reaching out and doing relief work in the eight cities that were hit the most in Puerto Rico. So, So I just want to give that to you, but... Again, in Mexico City, there was a, a earthquake where forty lives have been taken, and we realized that when Mother Nature decides to flex her muscles, it's scary, and you don't know what's going to happen. You really don't. This week, um, somebody from my church, I had to do a funeral. Their brother passed away um, in a motorcycle accident. The Peck family are here today, and. Um, He got up last Friday morning, had the day off, and decided to ride his motorcycle. And he lost his life. And he never thought that was the last day of his life. The fragility of life is scary when you think about it. The only undisputed truth that you and I know of in the world that nobody can deny is that one day you and I will die. We will all die. We don't know when, and it's a mystery that we don't want to ever solve. We don't know when we're going to die. But the challenge is, what's going to happen when you do? You see, what Jesus is going to share with us today is that he's actually going to say that the doorway to heaven is really narrow. It's not just your life that's, that your life on earth is a narrow window. But the door that leads to heaven, it's not wide. It's actually very narrow. Many of us, we grew up in the churches believing, okay, you know what? This, just believe in Jesus and we'll go to heaven. But Jesus has a real hard truth, and he's not playing here. He's going to be sharing with us a hard truth that we have to be willing to listen to and see. And what we realize is that the doorway to hell is huge, but the doorway to heaven is really narrow. And how you deal and how you sort of allow the truth of what Jesus wants to share with you today to settle in will determine whether you will be able to walk that path in which God has called you and I to walk. And I hope that you will. Jesus is going to teach us today how we can walk through the narrow door of heaven And so again, the only certainty that we have today is that one day we will pass, but which door are we going to enter into? The doorway, the narrow door that leads to heaven, or the wide door that leads to hell? Jesus is going to teach us how we can walk the path of the narrow door that leads to heaven. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 18 through 35. It's a lot of text, but again, it's really important that you stay engaged with this because these are the very words of Jesus Christ. Okay, This is what he says. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the town and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you'll say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from, away from me, All you evildoers, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so God, we come to you and we're confronted with a very hard text today. Lord Jesus, you spoke it 2,000 years ago. And I pray today that you'll help us to wrestle with this amazing truth that you teach us of how we can walk through the narrow door that leads to heaven. God, we pray for Las Vegas. We pray for those 58 families and friends that have to mourn the loss of a family member or a loved one. We pray for all the people that have to deal with the reality of their lives being destroyed because of natural disasters happening in Houston, that happened in Houston, Mexico City, Florida, Puerto Rico. We pray for our country that you would unite us and help us, God. And we pray for the Peck family. Thank you for bringing them here today as they mourn the loss of their son, their brother. I pray you bring healing into their hearts, comfort them in their season of grief. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us in a fresh way today. I really do. And that we would all come face to face with your loving, merciful presence today. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that it would be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. Let me just kind of share with you how a typical Jewish person, their understanding of heaven was. All right, They believed that by nature of being Jewish, that they would go to heaven when they die. Because they were from the genealogy of Abraham, the father of many, that they would go to heaven eventually uh, when they pass away. And that was their understanding. And so what Jesus does here, he says, no, that's not the case. In fact, he says, many of you, many of you are actually not going to be going to heaven. And so I think for a typical Jew, like sitting there and listening to this, this was offensive it, it blew their mind theologically because they didn't fully grapple with this understanding of what's going on. As I thought as long as we go to the temple, as long as we try to follow some laws and do our best to follow God, then we're good. And Jesus says, no, it's not good. And I think for us as Christians, we think it's good too because we were thought, sort of taught growing up even in the church that as long as I believe in Jesus Christ and that he's my Lord and Savior and I believe that with my mind and I come to church on Sundays, attend a Bible study group perhaps, and maybe read the Bible a few times a month, then I'm good. And I think what Jesus is saying to us today, he's saying it's not good enough. He said the door to heaven is narrow many of you won't go there. And that's the teaching and that's the passage that we have to really wrestle with today. That we have to wrestle with this, right? And it's not an easy thing. Let me just remind you what he says. Look at verse 22 again. These are the words of Jesus Christ. He says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, and this is what you want to underline, make every effort, underline that phrase, make every effort, to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. The phrase, the key phrase is make every effort. The Greek word for that is agoniste, and it literally has the root word in which you and I know the word agonize or Agonizing. Right, And so to go to heaven in Jesus' eyes, what he's teaching you and I is a laborious and agonizing kind of work. It's not so easy. Now many of you, I know you're theologians, and so you're saying, well, this is not really what I was taught. And when I read Paul's letters and other parts of Jesus, it says really it's about you believing that Jesus died and rose again, that he's our Lord, we'll get you to heaven. You're right. You're right. Only Jesus Christ can get us to heaven. The work he's done for us on the cross by dying for us, resurrecting from the dead. And if you and I believe in that, truly with our minds, with our hearts, and with our hands, we enter into the place of heaven. But the reason why the door is narrow, Metro, is because for many of us, it's just an abstract thought. It hasn't practically worked out in our lives. This understanding of Jesus Christ coming to die for us on the cross and resurrecting from the dead has such a significance that it has the capacity to transform your entire life, your entire world. And for us, we have not allowed that to happen perhaps. And the the reason why Jesus says it's an agonist, it is a laborious, it is an agonizing thing is because we have to apply it to our lives. We have to make every effort. Listen, you don't have to work to go to heaven, but you must be willing to work because it is a sign of your faith. In Jesus Christ. Amen? It is a sign of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so how do we walk the narrow door that leads to heaven that Jesus talks about? There are three thoughts or three things that Jesus teaches us in this passage that I want to share with you today. All right, And how you wrestle with these three things will really, I hope, will allow you to sort of orient or reorient your life in a way where you can walk with our God. All right, The first... We enter through the narrow door when we are trusting God or by trusting God. We enter through the narrow door by trusting in God. Now, I'm using the trusting, and I know it says trust up there, but it's something that we have to do every single day of our lives. We can't just trust God. Like some of you maybe trusted God 10 years ago. Like you really trusted God. It's not enough. The trust has to be something that you and I are willing to do every single day of our lives. We have to wake up and say, I will trust in you today. Look at what it says in verse 18. Verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, the Jews believe that the kingdom of God would come all at once. That was their understanding of their theology of the kingdom of God, right? But what is Jesus teaching here? He's saying it's not like that. It starts out small. Basically, he's saying, the kingdom of God has already started. It's happening right now because I'm here. That's why when Jesus enters a room a lot of times, what does he say in the gospels? The kingdom of God is here. You need to understand, like, that blows a Jewish mind away because they believe that, oh, then heaven is here now. That's what they're thinking. And so what Jesus is saying is this. The kingdom of God has already started. But the challenge is, will you trust me for the kingdom of God? Will you trust me today for the kingdom of God? And that's a challenge for us. Will you trust in God? Will you trust in Jesus Christ today? I don't know about you, but trusting in God, trusting in Jesus is really difficult. It's hard for me. It's not an easy thing. I wish I could say it's very easy, but there are pockets in my life where I feel like I've trusted in God so much more than certain times in my life. And trusting in God is not an easy place to be. There's so many other things you can trust in. Technology, a computer, science, other people, right? Experts in certain things. Heck, even yourself. But the trust in a God that you don't see, that's the stuff that makes faithful walkers in God. That's the stuff. That's what allows people to enter into this narrow door. And so how do you know if you're trusting in God today? Because that's an important question, isn't it? Like how do you know, like what's the barometer to kind of ask yourself that you're actually trying to trust in God daily? There are a couple things I have. One of the first things that you got to ask yourself is, is are you receiving and releasing God's mercy? Are you receiving and releasing the very mercy of God? Look at verse 34. Verse 34. This is one of the most compassionate sides of Jesus that you'll see in the Gospels. And and he's lamenting here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus is crying out because he's saying, I offered you my mercy, but you've rejected it. And part of you trusting in God is you get into a place in your life where you can receive God's mercy for you every day. But you see, the reason why many of you are not experiencing every day is because you are unwilling to extend that mercy to other people. You don't receive God's mercy until you can first release it to other people. That's why you're struggling right now. That's why the mercy thing, like what you're struggling with today, you're not feeling God's presence, is because you continue to live in your bitterness and your bitterness has become one of your best friends in your life. You won't let anyone into your, you won't let God into your bitterness business. You know you're trusting in God when you can surrender your bitterness to him. And so who do you need to forgive today, Metro? Who do you need to forgive? Because when you can forgive it's a sign that you've truly been forgiven by God and you receive that. It takes a lot of trust to forgive people and to release mercy to others. Jesus says, unfortunately, and it is an unfortunate thing, he says in the, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five through seven, he says, I will only forgive you to the degree that you're willing to forgive other people. In fact, in that same Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, if you have an issue, if someone has an issue with you, Don't come to the altar and worship me. Go and make it right before you come. Those are hard teachings. I was away at a a silent retreat by myself uh, a couple weeks ago, and I spent an entire day in upstate New York in the Caskills at a monastery. It was just so great. I love going to monasteries. And I was able to just kind of be in a place of reflection and just kind of thinking about my life. And, man, that... Time that I was there, one of the things that God was just showing me was all the sins that I've committed in the past 13 years of being the pastor of this church. Sins that I've committed against my wife, my children, God, you. And it got, got to the point where I just said, I don't, I don't deserve to be the pastor of this church. Like God, I don't deserve to be here today. I don't. If it's based upon my sins. But because he is so rich in his mercy, because he is so rich in his mercy, I'm able to come and even impart a word of God to you because he's been merciful to me, Metro. And I was at that place and I said, God, I will do the best that I can always to forgive those that have hurt me. And I will try to do the best that I can to ask those to forgive me for those I've hurt. I will do the best that I can because your mercy is just so Amazing. It is just that amazing that he's willing to shower his mercy upon you. And if you've received it, then you can't hold it back when others have wronged you and hurt you. You've got to be willing to give it to others. You know you're trusting in God when you give him your bitterness today. So that's the first sign that if you're receiving and releasing God's mercy. The second thing is obedience. Obedience. And what we learn in the Christian faith again, and we've taught you this, is that you don't obey God to be accepted by him. No, God's already accepted you because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. So our obedience is a natural byproduct of God accepting us. That's the beautiful thing. But here's what God wants you and I to do then. He wants us to obey. You know know what I think obedience looks like? It's when you and I are willing to live against the desires of our flesh. That's obedience, because I'm telling you, our fleshly desires are so great. It always leads us down a very dangerous path if we're trying to, if, if we're trying to, if we continue to succumb to our fleshly desires, whatever they may be. And it's really getting to the point of saying, I know my body and my desires want to go this way, but I'm gonna go this way and it's gonna hurt. And it's okay to hurt. Because trusting in God does require you to hurt a little bit. But it says, I'm gonna do the better thing. That I have to be willing to do the better thing. There's everything in you. I'm telling you, it never gets easy when somebody's wrongs you or if you wrong somebody else, to go up to them and say, hey, can you forgive me or let's talk about this. In the flesh, you never want to do that kind of stuff. I don't ever want to do it. And I've done it plenty of times. But you have to. Because if you don't, you don't trust in God. God requires you to. Otherwise, you'll continue to bathe in your bitterness Sexual desires. I'm going to just kind of talk about that a little bit if it's okay. Many of us, we have laid enslaved to our sexual desires. And I get it. I understand it. But when I was a teenager, high school, my college 20s, 30s, I thought about sex 99.9% of the time. (laughs) I thought there was something wrong with me, I thought I had some kind of a disease that there was something really wrong with me because that's all I really thought about. And there has to come a moment in your life when you can say, yeah, you can think about it, but you're going to live the opposite direction of what your flesh is telling you to do. Some of you have hot tempers. Join the club. And it's so easy in the flesh to just blow up on somebody who you know has wronged you or has done something wrong. It's so easy to do that. Obedience is saying, I will not do that. And I will walk the other way. Obedience. Doing things that your flesh doesn't want you to do. Going the other step. And then the last thing that shows that you're trusting in God is, is taking radical steps of faith. Radical steps of faith. That you're willing to trust in him so much. That you're willing to take these radical steps of faith. Even if it doesn't make sense. right? Things, following God many times is not going to make too much sense. And that you're taking these radical steps, whether it be you taking these radical steps of saying, you know what, I'm going to slow down a little bit in my own work life and I'm going to spend more time with my children and my wife and my husband. That I'm going to actually do this. That you're actually saying, I'm going to slow down a little bit for that. It could be even maybe jumping off to another career. And picking a whole different career path, because you're saying, "I think this is where God's leading me. It may not make sense because you've got bills to pay, but this is something you're going to trust in the Lord and see what happens. Trusting in God, taking these radical steps of faith, but radical steps of faith could be something real small, too. It could you just be saying, "You know what, honey? On Saturday, I'll watch the kids. you go out with your girls." That's a radical step of faith, because you've never watched your kids for 24 hours by yourself. That's a radical step of faith. But because you love your spouse, you're going to do that. You're going to serve her in that way or him in that way. What is the radical step of faith that God wants you to take? Because when you do, man, you start to grow and develop greater eyes of faith. You're trusting in God when you receive and release his mercies to others. You're trusting in God when you are obeying him, living against the desires of your flesh. You're trusting in God when you take radical steps of faith. Those are the clear signs. Which one of the three, all three, do you need to begin to work on today? The second thing that Jesus teaches us and how we can enter through that narrow door which leads to heaven is uh, we do that when we are serving and sacrificing for God, when we are willing to serve and sacrifice for God. Again, those two go together. They're hand in hand. You cannot serve God without expecting us sacrificing for it, all right? And, again, it's something that you got to do regularly because some of you maybe served God like 10 years ago, but you're not really serving God today. You've stopped for whatever reason it is. And Jesus said, the people who walk through the narrow door are the ones who serve and sacrifice for me every day. Verse 28. Verse 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So basically, ch- check out what heaven is, hell is like. Hell is like you staying in a place of tremendous torment, and yet you can still see heaven. But you can't go there. That's what hell is like. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. Okay? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets, they were people who served and sacrificed for God to the very end of their life. And what God is calling you and I to is to serve and to sacrifice for him. That that's what God calls us to do. Where? In the church. Many of you have a low view of the church today. And I get that. I get it because you hear of all these terrible stories. And maybe you've been the recipient of experiencing bad pastoral leadership from, from other churches. Or maybe even from here. And as a result, you have a low view of the church. It's easy to secularize your view of church. It's very easy to secularize it. When you secularize it, I don't blame you. But the church is not a secular place. It's a sacred place. And the reason why it's a sacred place is because Jesus Christ came and died for the church. He came and died for you. Church is not a building. It's its people. We are the church. And the church is still the only institution in the world where people come together in whose name? In Jesus' name. And so Jesus has not given up on the church. You and I cannot give, on the, give up on the church as well. So I want to encourage you to think about how can you begin to serve the church? There are a myriad of different ministries in which you can serve the church. Shirley just got up here, Pastor Shirley, a little while ago, and she said she's the pastor of special needs ministry. That's exciting. But she needs people who are willing to serve in that ministry. There are a lot of different ministries you can serve in. I encourage you. Maybe for some of you, it may not be serving a particular ministry because it doesn't have to be that. It could be other ways in how you serve the church. Like some of you have the gift to make money. And so part of the way in how you serve the church is you give the church money so that God can continue to do all the ministries that he wants to do within a church body. That's one way. Or some of you have an expertise in an area that could really serve our church. Like we have a guy at our church who is a really good real estate developer. And he helps us with leases. We just renegotiated our lease for our office like a couple weeks ago. And this guy literally helped us with it from A to Z. Because what does Kevin know about leases, right? I mean, he knows a lot of stuff. He doesn't know anything about leases, right? And now we hope that this brother will also help us to find a future home. Like we can't. Like Kevin and I don't know anything about that stuff. But that's, you can serve the church that way. It's a beautiful way for you to serve the church in that way. But you've got to be willing to figure out how can you begin to serve the church. Because that is the pathway in how you walk through the narrow door that God wants you and I to walk through. Now, here's the problem that I see with a lot of us. And I've been in church here for the past 13 years. I've been in other churches. But I find that today, we're so different from our parents. Like the young people today. You know, our parents, they knew serving meant that they had to sacrifice. Do you know the problem with us today? We only want to serve out of comfort. We won't serve once it requires us to sacrifice. Once sacrifice is called for, a lot of us will walk away. We'll quit. Once we maybe get hurt, somebody says something bad to us, maybe in the ministry or a a leader hurts us by saying something, I get it. I get why you want to just leave. But part of your serving is to sacrifice. And to say, let's work this out. Because perhaps maybe you're leaving what calls an exodus of a ministry. Have you ever thought about that? That you'd be willing to sacrifice for that, right? That you and I would be willing to sacrifice for that. There is nothing about serving Jesus that's supposed to be easy, Metro. Nothing. Nothing. And so, your serving God must be deeply connected to your willing to sacrifice for Him at the same time. And the problem I see with a lot of us today is that we're willing to serve God but not sacrifice for Him. And the doorway to heaven is a mindset of that. It's a mindset of that. If you can serve God, And it doesn't require you to sacrifice. It's never going to grow your faith. Never. But if it requires you to sacrifice, I guarantee your faith will grow. Clay talked about that a couple weeks ago. Our serving God requires faith because it's a sacrifice, Metro. It's a sacrifice. Now, I might be a little partial. All the ministries in our church are fantastic. All the people who are serving that, you guys really are fantastic but I'm a little partial because I'm on the setup team, (laughs) all right? And I just got to give a shout-out to my team. Um, My wife said to me a while ago, she said, why are you still on this team? You get up at 4 in the morning and you prepare for your sermon, and then you got to go to church and get all, like, why would you get all sweaty and then, you know, got to go and preach and come back, and you're always exhausted when you come home. Why? Why do you have to do this? You think it's because I like putting this stuff together? No, I'm terrible with this kind of stuff. After 13 years, I finally learned a few things, and I can do it now. But I'm not gifted at doing this stuff. I'm not. One time, you see that screen? I flipped it around. It was upside down. And we're like, why is it wrong? Like, Tim and I were trying to figure what's going on, and I realized it was upside down because I did it, right? But why do I, why am I on the setup team? I've never met a group of men and women who are willing to sacrifice how many of you want to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday? You're like, oh man, you know, I wake up at 6 o'clock to go to work. The last thing I want to do is wake up on a Sunday morning, especially after you party on a Saturday. <laughs> These men and women get up at 6 in the morning or earlier, they get ready, they come to church, and they don't come in like this, oh, all right, let's go. I'm tired. They have a smile on their face, they're excited. Some of the humblest people I know. And so I just want to be around them. It does something for my spirit when I'm around these people. And that's why I can't leave. Right? That's why I can't. Because I love being around these men and these women who are willing to set something and serve in the church. Nobody knows what they're You don't even know who's on the setup team. And they just would rather hide. And the breakout team is the same way. And I just that's why I'm in the ministry, the setup ministry. Because I need it for my own spirit. They sacrifice, and they're willing to serve in that way. Listen, we've lost the art of it. Our parents knew how to do this so well. What happened to us? We serve as long as it doesn't require us to sacrifice. But once it calls us to sacrifice, we're out. And Jesus says, the narrow door that leads to heaven are those who are willing to serve and sacrifice because it will grow your faith. Trusting in God, serving and sacrificing takes us through this narrow door that leads to heaven. And then the very last thing, and I think one of the hardest things, is that we enter through the narrow door when we are surrendering our love for status to God. It is so hard to do that. Look at verse 29. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first. And first, who will be last? At the time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, "Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you." I stuck that last verse in. It doesn't have anything to do with this or what I want to share. But the Pharisees were getting so aggravated and so angry at Jesus because everything he was teaching was completely opposite of what they have been teaching and how they have been le- living. And so they said, "Hey, can you leave? Because Herod wants to kill you. You think he cares? You think they care about Jesus' life? They were hoping Herod would kill him." Right, But they say, just get out of here because we can't handle you anymore. You just, you like mess us up. We hate your guts. Get out of here. Why? Because the Pharisees love status. They love people looking at them as, as the spiritual people. They love kind of being the enforcers of the law. They love looking down and saying, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? They love sitting in the places of honor at the dinner table so people can look at them and say, you are a Pharisee. They love places of honor. And you know what? We do too. We love honor. We love status. We love these things because we're Americans. It's so unnatural and un-American when we give up our love for status. It really is. I mean, can you imagine, like, we take pride in being the best country in the world, don't we? Do you know how that pollutes us when we travel around the world? I was in Bangkok last month. Bangkok's one of the biggest cities in our world. Hardly anyone spoke English there like the cab drivers. And I remember just kind of sitting in there, I'm thinking, how dare you not speak English? <laughs> like, it would help your business, right? But they live in Thailand. Why do they need to learn my language so that it could be easier, more comforting for me to travel in, the, in this place? Like, how American have I become thinking that everyone needs to learn my language so it would be easier for me? It's so un-American for us to give up our love for status. It is. And Jesus says, if you want to be first in my kingdom, if you want to walk through this narrow door, you have to voluntarily be last. You have to want to be last. Because if you're not, you're not going to enter into this narrow door that leads to heaven. That's a hard teaching. Because we want to be best at everything. We want to win. And you know why this is so destructive? Because our love for status, you know what it does? It nurtures our pride. And when you have pride, because we all have pride, come on, American pride, we all have pride. When we have pride, what it does then is that we can't be comfortable in our own skin and our own brokenness and our own sinful ways, and so we pretend to be somebody that we're not. And when you're pretending to be somebody that you're not, how can you experience the redemptive hand of God over your life? It's impossible. One of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that God is in the business of redeeming our lives, not just for heaven, but even now. But it doesn't happen if you can't choose to be last. If you can't embrace your weaknesses and your brokenness and your sins. Because the gospel teaches that there's hope in your sins. There's hope in all the things that are messed up and broken in your life. But you got to be willing to say, I'll be last. You got to voluntarily be willing to be last. So, one of the things I was going to do on the sabbatical was write a book. And the last year, I got, a, I got an email from a publishing company, and they said, hey, you know, um, we'd really like to explore with you, perhaps, of maybe you writing a book for our, for, our, for our publishing company. And I felt so good. I thought, oh, really? Yeah. I like that idea. I like that idea. I said, but not now. I'm a little busy. I said, I'll get back to you. Get back to you. Right? And so, you know, I have friends. that are like, you know, you should, you should write a book. You should write a book. It's important for you to maybe write something about the story of Metro and, and, and how, you know, you were able to take a ministry philosophy of weakness to be a commonality and how you were able to implement that in the church and how you were able to grow a church that way. And I thought, wow, yeah, I think I, should, I could write about that. It's easy. It's just about the church, our church. And so, like, you know, before I went on sabbatical, like May uh, or so, um, I emailed them. I said, hey, I think I'm ready to talk to you about potentially writing a book. And they said, well, great, give us an outline, a chapter-to-chapter outline. I'd love to see what it looks like. I did. I sent it in, and they came back, and they said, we would love to explore this with you more. This sounds like a great idea. And they said, before we send you a contract, um, we need you to write the first chapter, though, because we just want to kind of see your writing style. I said, sure. I said, I'll give it to you. You know, while I'm on sabbatical, I'll write one chapter. And so I went away and, you know, I was in Nebraska fishing with a good friend of mine. and We were at Starbucks and I said, I, I got to write this chapter. And so we went to Starbucks in Nebraska and I was writing and I'm telling you, like the Holy Spirit just came down from heaven and just, woo! And I just started writing like crazy. Words were flowing through me. Words I didn't even know. I didn't even know what the meaning was. I just started flowing. I felt the anointing of God. And I just thought, wow, this is what Luke must have felt like when he wrote the gospel of Luke. I know what the Bible writers were thinking now when they were writing the Bible because I feel the inspiration of God right now as I'm writing this thing. I mean, it was just flowing, 20 pages of just flow. I was done. I was like, man, this is so good. <laughs> I submitted it to Sua, who does, who's my editor. I was like, you know, you got to help me with this because she's really great at editing. So I sent it to her, and then she came back a week later, she gave it back to me, and it was even better. I was like, like Sue, this is a great chapter, don't you think? She said, it's a fantastic chapter. I said, all right, I'm ready to send it. And so I sent it, and I just thought, like, when they come back, I knew, I just believed that they are going to say, we want to publish this book hardcover. <laughs> if you know anything about publishing world, most books are printed softcover because it's cheaper. If a book is printed hardcover, that means they believe it's going to sell a lot of copies. All right? Every author wants to be published hardcover. I just thought, I mean, God inspired me to write this chapter. They're going to definitely want to publish it hardcover. I heard back from them about two weeks later. And they said, "Um, you know what, we thought about it, but we don't actually want to work with you on this project. I remember just thinking, what? (laughs) They said there was another book that was written that was kind of similar to this this year, and we don't want to publish another one with the same kind of topic. So, you know, we just, we're not going to do it. But if you have other ideas, let me know. So I, thought, I said to myself, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? Do, do I just kind of like be the more the passive-aggressive Asian person and just say, well, God bless you anyway, <laughs> right? Or do I give him a piece of my mind? I chose the latter. I gave him a piece of my mind. And I just said to them very, the most politely as possible, I said, uh, you're making a mistake. <laughs> I said, I took a ministry philosophy and I was able to implement it in a church and it became one of the largest multi-ethnic churches in our denomination. I was like, you're making a mistake. And I started thinking, man, I'm going to make them look bad. I'm going to call other publishing companies and let them get in. I'm going to email them and say, see? See what you missed? But it hurt because I felt like God was inspiring me to write this thing. I had a lot of time to reflect because I was on sabbatical. And sometimes reflecting a lot is a very humbling process. That's why a lot of you don't do it. And God said to me, he said, Peter, 13 years ago, you had no business planning a church at 29 years of age. You had no experience in the church. But I called you to do it. You want to know why? Because you chose to be last. He says, you have no business writing a book. You don't. But I may call you to do it one day if you choose to be last. Some of you have no business being married today. You don't. The things you've done and said to your spouse you shouldn't be married today because you've hurt your spouse so much. But God will restore your marriage today if you choose to be last. Some of you have no business being a parent today. The things you've done and said to your child, to your children, and how you've deeply wounded them, you have no business being a parent today. But if you choose to be last, God could restore and heal marriage some of you in this room you want no part in being single today you hate it you hate being single and and i understand but if you choose to be last god could do something significant in your life and some of you you have no business doing some of the things maybe you feel like god is leading you to do none of us we don't have any business wanting to do certain things but god will be with you If you choose to be last, the door to heaven, Jesus says, is really narrow. And the only way you and I can enter through it is will you trust in him today? Will you be willing to serve and sacrifice for him? And will you give up your love for status? Will you choose to be last so that you can be first in God's kingdom? Let's pray.